0: All money has a spirit on it. Take it all out of your pocket, out of your purse, and look at it, and it has a spirit attached to it. Money submitted to God, money submitted to his purposes, has the spirit of God on it. And if it's favored by the spirit of God, it's just going to do good things. Money not submitted to God has the spirit of mammon on it. Mammon, what is this mammon? Mammon promises everything but delivers nothing. It is absolutely vital in your life, in my life, that we break the spirit of mammon. There are lots of indicators that we're being affected by the spirit of mammon. But if we don't break this thing, it's going to affect our family. And folks, I'm not talking about just they may uh, have a bad attitude or I'm saying it can affect their entire family tree. If people choose mammon over the will of God, we're talking serious consequences. We've got to get a handle on this thing for your own life, for your own health, for your safety, for the Lord's work. Folks... Conquering the spirit of mammon perhaps is just about, on a day-to-day basis, it perhaps is our greatest battle, the spirit of mammon. This is part two. Uh, I uh, feel like the Holy Spirit really told me to preach this. You know, sometimes uh, I feel like what Paul said, uh, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. It just seems like a good thing. There are other times when it says, and the Spirit told me. (laughs) And though uh, I wouldn't maybe go that far, I would tell you that the Holy Spirit really laid heavy on me last week. And uh, this is part two in what I think will be a two-part series. And it's interesting, I got a lot of comments last week, uh, all good, Um, even from those who listened, uh, someone we actually have hundreds of people all over the world, some in the Marshall Islands, <laughs> who listen by podcast, and so we got a comment back from some, and they listened to this message. I believe that God wants this generation to hear it. There is no spirit that affects this generation more than the spirit of mammon, and uh, the home church, a great church, but it's not immune to this spirit, for sure. Well. Uh, Reminds me of the story about a guy who came to church with his family and they were driving home afterwards and he was just complaining about everything. Music was too loud. Sermon was too long. Announcements were unclear. The building was hot. The people were unfriendly. On and on this guy went, complaining about virtually everything. Finally, his very observant son who had watched what his dad had put in the offering plate, said, well, dad, you've got to admit it wasn't a bad show for just (laughs) a (laughs) dollar. And if you don't like the message today, well, you know, it's not a bad show for a dollar, (laughs) amen. Let's all bow forward to prayer. Father, we thank you this morning, and Lord, I pray, oh, God, you have heard my cry this week. You've heard my cry this morning. Oh, God, break the spirit of mammon in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 16 will be our uh, reference to begin with, but we're going to spend a good amount of time in Psalm 49 this morning. The last part of Luke uh, 16, verse 13 says, You cannot serve God and mammon. You're gonna have to make a choice. You can't say, "Well, I serve God and money." No, you've got to choose. But it's interesting. He, Jesus, used the word mammon. He never just threw words around. He is very uh, acquainted with and often spoke about money or riches. But when talking about who we serve, he said it's a spirit. And four different occasions he used this particular word. Now, why did he use that? word, mammon, because he was referring to a false god that they all knew, a false god that originally came out of Babylon, who now was a Syrian god, the god of riches, mammon, or in the Greek, mammonos. the the, uh, the spirit that was attached to riches is his issue. Mammon, the demonic mammon wants to take God's place. Mammon promises everything that God promises, identity and security and significance and happiness and peace and love. The thing that the Antichrist does during the tribulation period is to, is to unleash the spirit of mammon. And people literally sell out their family for mammon. Hey, I, I'm not going to be able to feed my family if I don't take the mark of the beast. And so mammon is the thing that the Antichrist is going to use to get a hold of the people of this generation. Let's go to Psalm 49, if you would, please. And um, it is an unfamiliar psalm. Very familiar psalms: 23, 91, 51, you know, 119, 150. There are a lot of familiar psalms that people love and quote often. Yet I don't think I've ever heard a, a message out of Psalm 49. And yet it's. Quoted by Peter in the New Testament, it is a very powerful psalm. And in this psalm, he addresses, in fact, as I was reading through it a week ago, as I read through it over and over again, the Holy Spirit just kept saying, this is the spirit of mammon. This is what it's all about. This is the Old Testament uh, version of the New Testament reminder in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where it says that the love of money is the root of all evil." Now, in many of the Psalms, we find the psalmist uh, praying, and others we find the psalmist praising. But in this passage, we find the psalmist preaching, and he is preaching straightforward. The scope is this, that the human race is just being uh, sold a wooden nickel. It is just a terrible disease on the heart's of mankind, the spirit of mammon. And let's go to verse one, if you would, please, verses one and two. In fact, let's read those all together, if you would, just to kind of get us all on the same page. Would you read it out loud with me? All right, if you'll put it up there on the PowerPoint. Ready? Begin. Hear this, all ye people. Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. Everybody needs to hear this. It's not a topic that most people like to talk about. Because most people don't like to talk about things like religion and politics, I've heard people tell me. I've, I've often quipped. You know, that's a funny because that's the only two things I do like to talk about. But, uh, but uh, another thing that people don't like to talk about is money. I mean, uh, they certainly don't want to talk about their own private money life. But the Bible says we need to hear this. All inhabitants, God says that Christians and non-Christians alike often have similar uh, struggles with this. God says that the rich need to hear this. And then very uniquely, God says the poor need to hear about the spirit of mammon. Sometimes folks think that if you're poor, you'll certainly never be bothered with the this lust for money. But the fact is, it, struck, it hits all of us. Now, let's go to, up to verse six, because here he begins kind of the, the real uh, crux of the matter. Verse six, they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. This is the issue, trusting our riches. Nothing wrong with having riches. Many of God's most choice servants were not just rich, they were just extravagantly rich. I mean, nobody was richer in his day than Job or Solomon. I mean, uh, Solomon's the richest man who ever lived, the first and perhaps only true trillionaire. And yet, uh, God's very clear that it's possible to be rich, but not trust in them. Just don't trust in it for your first your security or for your happiness or for your peace. Don't let the spirit of mammon get a hold of you and try to buy you. Look what it says. They that trust in their wealth. They that trust in their wealth depend on it for their identity and who they are. You know I couldn't drive a car like that because that's not who I am. You have, my friend, been bitten by the spirit of mammon. I couldn't live in that neighborhood. That's just not who I am. I couldn't go to that school. It's just not what I'm about. That is the spirit of mammon. Anytime we're concerned about what people think about us or how they might view us, that is the spirit of mammon. Too many people today are worried more about their credit rating than their God rating. Well, I mean to tell you, they'll do anything and everything to make sure that credit rating just keeps going up. But Whether or not God has approved of what I'm doing, it makes no difference. But look what it says, they not only trust in their wealth, they boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. We can know we're in the grip of mammon when we take our wealth for granted and when we take the credit for what is surely all due to God. God gives us our skills, God gives us the opportunities god gives us the ability to do things without getting sick i mean our all we are is in the hands of god if god should pull away his protective uh, covering over us and for one second we'd be like Job. the fact is everything we have is from god it really is we work hard we're supposed to improve the skills god gives us we've been working on this uh, the workers have been working on this trench out here for the electrical line about ready to cover it back up. And I was noticing as I was watching him for a few minutes uh, that they they were hacking away at some of the roots that were in that trench. And they had an ax and they were hacking. Others were, you know, clipping it. But, you know, imagine for a few moments if that uh, worker that was there had an ax in its hand and all of a sudden the ax uh, started speaking. And that ax looked at that worker and said, "Uh, I'm the one who's cutting all this uh, here. The worker would be like, what? what are you? And that ax would just be talking and say, you know what? It's me. I'm the one that's cutting all these roots and I'm the one that's uh, freeing uh, the trench from all the stuff that's in there. The fact is it is the worker that sharpened it. It is the worker that picked it up. It is the worker that got the job done. And, you know, for the any minute that we say, you know, it's us, God says, look, I'm the one that's holding the ax. You may be the one hitting it there, but I'm that one. And then God begins to remind us about the, uh, the wealth and what it cannot do. There are five things that God reminds us that wealth cannot do. Look at verse number seven. The first thing, wealth cannot protect friends. Let's read verse seven together if you would. Ready, begin. None of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. With all of our means, you would think that if I had enough money, I could maybe somehow stop the progress and the ravages of cancer, but no. If I had enough money, perhaps I could get somebody well, but no. The fact is, money just simply cannot buy good health. There are people all over the world who have enough money that if money could... They would be happy to give everything they had, every last cent and more, if they could only heal somebody that they love. But the fact is, our health is always in the hands of God, and no amount of money can buy God's help. Even greater issue than our physical health is our spiritual health. Too many people imagine that somehow if they have money, I'm a Imagining that somehow they secretly think that they might be able to pay God off. The fact is, gold can never pay for the sins of mankind. You cannot bribe death. We cannot buy good health, and neither can we buy eternal life. God says it's impossible. Look at verse 8. For the redemption of their soul is precious. Precious is the saving of a soul. What if you could heal somebody with our money? What if we could save our friend by paying for some great doctor or some great you know, radical procedure? But what if they then end up dying and going to hell? What good was that? The redemption of their soul is what is precious, and it ceaseth forever, that he should live forever and not see corruption. Sadly, too many people sell their soul to mammon. I mean, It is the spirit of mammon. It is not just money. It is the spirit behind the wealth. It is the spirit that's on the money. And we just fall lockstep like the Pied Piper, just do what he says. But Christ reminds us that he can do for us, which no friend could ever do. I know each of us would love if we could to maybe save the soul of a loved one, a child or grandchild or some friend. But the fact is we can't We don't have enough money to save a soul. Only Jesus could do that. This is the passage that Peter quotes, that the redemption of a soul is precious. It's not gold, but the blood coin of Jesus' death and resurrection that buys our salvation. The great uh, reformer John Tillotson once said this, He who provides for this life but takes no care for eternity is wise for a moment but a fool forever. That's a great statement, isn't it? Wise for a moment, but a fool forever. Yes, there is wisdom in this world, but what wisdom is it if it's only for a couple of days or a couple of years or even a couple of decades when it's eternity we should be concerned about? The fact is, wealth cannot protect friends. Number two, wealth cannot prevent death. Verse number 10, for he seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. Now, thinking people know that it's obvious. Everybody dies. I uh, something caught my attention this week, and had a picture of a famous actor, and it said, uh, "See what he looks like today." I thought, "Well, I'll look at that," and I looked at that picture, and I thought, "Oh my goodness, what happened to that guy? <laughs> he got ran over by a train or something, man." It's been 30 or 40 years. I think it was an actor in the 60s. I thought, man, that's a, one rough life. But the fact is, you know, everybody knows that some beautiful bombshell, she was something else, but boy, you look at her when she's 80, it may not quite be that way. I'm, I'm not saying that anybody's ugly at a certain age. I'm just saying that, folks, it is a fact that beautiful people maybe get unbeautiful. People who had it all, somehow, they all die the same. I mean, we all have the same issues. And people say, it says here, that wise men see that people die. I mean, thinking people know that. They know that if you're wealthy, you still die just like everybody else. And you leave your money. Nobody takes their money with them. Last week, I mentioned that, have you ever seen a U-Haul on the back of a hearse? And someone emailed me a picture of someone who had put a U-Haul on the back of a hearse. I thought, my goodness, there you go. But they didn't take it with them. They may have taken it to the cemetery, but they didn't take it with them. The fact is, uh, anybody who's smart knows that we all die. And then notice what it says, they leave their wealth to others. Now, here's where the spirit of mammon tricks us. The spirit of mammon says, get as much money as you can. And somehow we're thinking that it's going to be there when we die. And then, I don't know, somehow it's like we're going to take it with us. Like, like a pharaoh or something, you know, we have our pyramid and we have our food there with us. And some of those pharaohs even buried their servants alive with them, you know, so take care of them in the afterlife. But God's very clear. It says that we leave our wealth to others. Now, do you want to think if we could leave our wealth to those that we know will take care of it? But look what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He said, it all of a sudden dawned on me, I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me, and who knoweth he shall be a wise man or a fool, yet he shall have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored. He said, man, I worked hard for that money, and then I die, and it goes to somebody who's an ignoramus, a moron gets my hard-earned money and... Solomon was upset by that. And I would say just as a footnote here, you know, some might want to rethink their estate plans. Sadly, too many people leave all of their money to their children, who often waste it. And in fact, many times it ruins them. Pauline and I don't have a large estate, but we did feel that to be good stewardship in our living trust, we have a Godly lifestyle clause. And I would recommend that to you. If you have your estate planning in order, which you should, it doesn't take a lot. You can even do it online, just get a a trust or a will up. But put a godly lifestyle clause in your uh, estate plan so that if they aren't serving God, that money goes to a good cause. Because I'm telling you, to give a fool a lot of money is just like. Given um, somebody who has no brains of stick of dynamite, it will ruin them. Verse eleven: Their inward thought is, "Their houses shall continue forever." Notice it's their inward thought. They don't say it out loud because they know they'll be laughed away. This is their inward thought: They're going to continue forever, and their dwelling places to all generations. That's why they call their lands after their own names. That's what the spirit of mammon does. It just tricks people. Five things wealth cannot do. It cannot protect friends. It cannot prevent death. And number three, it cannot preserve honor. Verse 12, nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like beasts that perish. Now let's amose for a moment that you and I might achieve the pinnacle of success. we a CEO of a Fortune 500 or perhaps... We become a CEO of one of those great companies, Facebook or Google, you know, one of these great companies, and uh, we become the CEO, and we are just uh, so uh, brilliant and rich. Or maybe like Meghan Markle, we become a duchess from, from the streets of Pittsburgh or wherever she was from to a duchess. Married into a thousand-year monarchy over Britain. Unbelievable. But imagine for a moment that could be our position or a billionaire. We could have one of those great yachts or our own plane or whatever. Let's imagine that we could have every advantage that a person could ever want on this earth. And yet the Bible says when we die, we're no different than an animal. A beast is the King James word, a little nicer sounding. But the point here is this. It says, you know, we're actually like a bunch of steer. We're just being fed, being fed, being, being fed, and just about at a certain point, the butcher comes over, and we're gone. Was, uh, we were having dinner at one of our family's homes, a uh, delightful time, and they live a little bit out in the country and have a few steer. And there was, we were, While we were having dinner, there was this one steer, his head over the fence, looking at, at us the whole time. I said, man, what is that cow doing? And They said, well, that's one of our cows. I think she loves to, or he or whatever, loves to look at us. And I said, what's his name? They said, T-Bone. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> he, oh, that, that, that steer may have thought he was their pet, but I promise you, he was a T-Bone. And that's all we are, God said. We're just a big old T-Bone. We think everybody's feeding us and feeding us, and man, we're living high in the hog. He said, No, you're just a big old Tebow, and that's all you are. And notice what it says it says, verse 13, this is their folly. <laughs> and their posterity approve their saying. Notice their way is their folly. It's not that they made a bad step here or there, they've done it as a lifestyle. It's been a way for them. So all their life, they're following the spirit of mammon. And then those that follow them quote them. You only live once, YOLO. I'm going to be just like them, and they quote them. You're like, okay, is everybody on crack? Are you crazy? They died just like an old steer. They died like everybody else. It's crazy. They're they're nuts. There's a few gaps in their theories. There was a fencing contractor talking with a rich property owner about going to heaven. The wealthy property owner believed that God was okay with him and was pleased with his efforts for sure. He told the fencing contractor, I lived a good life and been hardworking and I've given to many worthy causes. Sure, in my business, I've had to you know, trim a few things and cheat a little bit and lied. I mean, you have to do that to be in business. But he said, all in all, really, I'm a good person. The conversation ended and it was time to build the fence, and two weeks later, the fence was ready. The property came over and looked at the fence and was absolutely shocked. I mean, the fence was going along real good. All of a sudden, there was like a 20-foot opening. The fence would go along more, another big opening. I mean, just opening after opening. He tried to compose himself and said, what is going on? What, what is all this? i paid you to build a solid fence. and The fencing contractor said, well, I don't get it. There's only a few gaps here. It's only a little bit of problem. I mean, 99% of the fence was done. I mean, it's only a little bit that wasn't done. And the guy said, look, 99% is not okay. I mean, those big old gaps in that fence, I mean, that's exactly where all of my cattle is going to go. what are you doing? You're crazy. Near enough is not good enough, he told the contractor. At that point, the contractor said, you know, I did this on purpose. I'll fix your fence. But I wanted to remind you that when it comes to your eternal life, near enough is not good enough. It's not 98% good and 2% bad. You've got to be 100% saved by the blood of Jesus. And notice what that verse says. I like it. I like the last word there. It says, Selah. God says, you need to pause at this point and think about that for a second. Just pause. Think about this moment. Don't don't, don't go past this moment until you kind of stop for a minute and really think about how silly it is for people to quote their their, those that have gone before them, when they're on their way to hell. Wealth cannot protect friends. It cannot prevent death, cannot preserve honor. Neither can it preempt judgment. Look at verse 14. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. truth is all other prosperity only became a slippery slope. All day long, they followed the spirit of mammon, and nighttime came, and they retired to their pen like every good sheep should, and then they die. But in the judgment, nothing happens. In the morning, nothing good happens to them. God says, but in the morning for a believer, it's resurrection day. And God reminds us here that they may have honor, they may have all their accolades on this life, but the fact is when death comes, The believers will be there on Resurrection Day, but those will go to the judgment. An admiral was visiting the U.S. Navy uh, ship. He was chatting with one of the enlisted men. He looked at him and said, What would you do if another sailor fell overboard? The sailor promptly replied, I would raise the alarm and toss him a life professor or a life preserver, sir. The admiral asked a second question, well, what would you do if it was an officer who fell over? The enlisted man thought for a minute and then said, which officer, sir? (laughs) And the truth is, we like to pick and choose who we would save, but the fact is, you know what? We need to make sure we are saved by the blood of Jesus. Number five, the wealth cannot perpetuate happiness. Verse 16, be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory, his happiness, his joy, his peace, his, his identity shall not descend after him. You can't take your happiness to the grave. The while he lived, he blessed his own soul. And of course, people were very happy to praise him. And because when you do well for yourself, people will praise you. It's a great temptation to envy the prosperity of sinners. And even thinking that somehow they are very happy. And on the surface, they appeared to be. Verse 18, though while he lived, he blessed his own soul. He always kept saying, I'm so happy. Every day is my best day. And I mean, they're very, it's all about me. And They applaud themselves in the very thing that God just condemns. They spend all of their money on their, and all of their efforts on their bodies and nothing for their eternal soul. The Bible says men will praise you, but God doesn't. You might be able to impress pe- people with your Rolex. I was in a jewelry uh, jeweler's not long ago with Pauline, and I looked over, and there was this twenty-something-year-old young guy. He was asking the guy about Rolex watches, and they were going back and forth. And this guy talked like he was a billionaire or something. I was thinking he's probably going to get out and get in a Volkswagen like me. But the fact is, he somehow thought his Rolex was going to really, I don't think he was going to be a chick magnet or something. Boy, they were just going to come after him. The fact is, you're not impressing anybody with your Rolex. No, you're certainly not impressing God. Verse 19, he shall go to the generation of his fathers that never see light. Could you imagine anything so tragic as hearing that? Never seeing light. True happiness, it is said, is A man who walks so close to God that there is no room for the devil to get in between. That's the spirit of mammon that wants to get in. Now, I want to get practical for a minute. As I was thinking about this message, I realized, you know, we've talked about principle, but I think we need to get practical. If someone were to ask me, what are the two most important steps, or what are the most important steps, I would say there are two of them, two steps that... On it, from a practical standpoint, we would make that would break the spirit of mammon. Someone said, well, pastor, I believe everything you say. No, you don't. You don't believe it unless you obey it. You see, we only believe the amount of the Bible that we obey. Everything else is just theory. Sounds good, but no, we only believe what we obey. And by the way, what we obey is the only thing that the devil respects he doesn't care what we believe, but he runs at what we obey. And we base that on James 4 and verse 17. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. We resist as we obey. And so if you were to get proactive about this and you were to want to break the spirit of mammon in your family and in your life, what would you do? I would say there are two absolute steps the first one is to say this, and, and I on purpose said it this way, that from this day forward, I will give the first 10% of my gross income to the Lord. This is what the Bible calls tithing. Now, tithing is not the end of the matter, but it is a great place. It certainly is the minimum that we ought to start with. Never again will I tip God, you know, just throw a couple dollars in. I'll pay all my own bills, and then if I have anything left over, I'll give. I will not give 8% or 5%. I won't skip the tithe. I won't pay everything else first. I won't store it up and give it in one lump sum. I'll not pay my school bill, no. I am going to give everything to God that's his. Anything less shows a spirit of mammon is influencing you. It's interesting to me how a message on tithing often upsets people. And I would say this, if you were put out this morning in any way about what I'm saying, think about this. You're upset because a pastor is trying to get his people blessed and because he's trying to get souls into the kingdom of God. Think about it. That's what you're upset about. Would that be something that sounds like a good idea? It doesn't sound like a good thought to me. In fact, I would say if you're upset this morning, you've got a spiritual problem. Because if you have a problem with a pastor trying to see his people get blessed and see the kingdom of God grow, that's some serious issue there. I like what one pastor said, I'm not trying to get something from you, I'm trying to get something for you. And that's exactly what I'm doing. The fact is, this message should be as exciting as if I stood up and said, I'm going to give you two secrets to prayer this morning. And if I were to say that, you'd say, man, start talking, pastor, because I need help in my prayer life fact is, you ought to be that excited or more when I say, folks, we're going to talk about tithing. We're going to talk about giving today. That's exactly what we ought to be like. Why? Because here's what the Bible says. Malachi 3 and verse 10, prove me. I will open the windows of heaven and I will put favor on you. I will pour out a blessing. Well, I just don't believe that. Well, then you, then if that's not that promise, what is it? If that's not a a promise of physical blessings. I don't know what it is. It says there's gonna be so much favor on you, you're just not even gonna be able to believe it. All money has a spirit on it. Money submitted to God and his purposes has the spirit of God on it. Money not submitted to God has a spirit of mammon on it. Mammon promised everything and it returns nothing. You know, the fact is, When we talk about giving, it ought to be party time. I remember hearing of one church, I think it's in San Diego, that he taught his people that whenever we would come up and announce the offering, I want everybody to break out into clapping and amen and and just, I I want this to be an exciting time because this is a time when we get the favor of God on us. I thought, man, that's a pretty good idea. So maybe we ought to practice that for a second, all right? So I'm going to say, it's time for an offering, folks, all right? And I want you just to clap, say amen. Okay, let's try that. I'm going to be watching who claps, all right? Here we go. It's time for an offering, folks. Yeah, yeah. Woo, yeah. Come on, let's give it now. See? Now, wouldn't that be better to say amen than owe me? Yes, I believe so. And you say, well, I don't know how to tithe. Seriously? Tell you what, if you were owed 10% of a certain check, I guarantee you'd figure it out. I don't know how to figure it out. Just know how. I don't know what it is. Yeah, right. Don't drag your feet. Now you say, well, I'm going to study this more. You won't do it. You see, (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll work my budget and see if I can. It's not going to happen. Because it's obedience that helps. Now, there are many practical ways to do this. I mean, you can set up a recurring gift. You can give electronically. I mean, whatever. You can. We've had folks that get their paycheck on Friday and run down to the church. And they say, you know what? I'm not taking a chance of spending this on anything else. I mean, folks, I'm just telling you, This every second of delay, hear me, every second of delay in this moment, Is a second fellowshipping with a demon. How do I know that? Because it's a spirit of mammon. God didn't say riches, you can't serve God in riches. He didn't say you can't rich uh, serve God in money. He said you can't serve God and mammon. It is a spirit. And I know it's a spirit because people get upset, people get it's just they're all into this thing. It's a spirit. It's just a spirit. It's not just as simple as some doctrine. It's a spirit. God said, you're going to have to make a choice. Just lay it down, give it to God, and folks, do it today. Now, there is a second guardrail. Now, we go up in the mountains now and then, and I'm thankful for guardrails, especially on Highway 50 up to South Lake Tahoe. Man, thank God for some of those guardrails, especially at that pass up there. Woo, man. Well, uh, these guardrails I'm giving you are going to keep you from falling off the cliff. The first one is to, from this day forward, purpose. I'm just going to do it. I'm a, you just got to do it, folks. You can't just you can't think this thing through. You just got to do it. And second of all, if you were to ask me, how could I break a spirit of mammon? I, I, I sense it. I really do. I I sense that I think about money all the time. It just consumes me. It, it bugs me. I just, I get irritable about it. I, I just, I get troubled by the giving. I just, I sense it. I sense that I'm captured by the spirit of man. What should I do? Two things. Number one, just start tithing because it breaks it. Obedience breaks that uh, spirit. Thinking doesn't, uh, you know, my concepts don't know. It is obedience that breaks it. And the second thing is this. From this day forward, I will never go into debt. Pastor, that's un-American. What are you talking about? Never going into debt. Now, why do I say that? Because you need to announce to the devil once and for all, I don't need more stuff. Just say that with me. I don't need more stuff. You don't. You don't need any more stuff. Neither do I. Now, if you do need stuff, then just wait for God to give it to you. And do it the right way. Now, Romans 13 and verse 8 says this, Oh, no man anything. The apostle is speaking about a wide range of issues, from taxes to you know, taking care of family members, so forth. And all of a sudden, he stops. And he says, Oh, no man anything. Now, just to read that, it's pretty clear it's funny to me about this whole thing of debt Uh, nothing could be more clear from scripture there are dozens of scriptures that that one way or other indicate it but for some reason it is just like over the head of most American Christians like I don't know anything about that really so do you ever read your Bible or what I mean it's just throughout the Bible but to get a real sense of this verse I think it's helpful to have a Greek scholar tell us. A.T. Robertson, Robertson's word studies are one of the greatest uh, helps if you're going through uh, Greek uh, studies. And his uh, one of the rules of Greek language is that a succession of negatives in the Greek strengthens the first. There are certain verses in the Greek New Testament that have as many as four negatives in a row, which just really strengthens it, three. And in this verse, there are two. So if you were to look up this in a lexicon, you look this up in your Greek New Testament, you would find that this verse says, oh, whatever the Greek word is for that, and that it is the Greek word medais. And it's twice. Oh, medais, medais. The King James translators put it, no man, oh, no man, anything. And that's a good translation because 32 times it's translated as no man in the New Testament, and 27 times it's translated as nothing. Nothing. Like when Jesus said to his disciples, take nothing with you as you go preaching. So actually it could read, oh, nothing, nothing. They just, the King James translators put oh, no man anything, but really it could read just as well as it has in other places, oh, nothing, nothing. It is as though he's talking about taxes, he's talking about this, and then the apostle stops and says, oh, nothing, I mean nothing. In response to people said, well, you don't mean no, nothing. Now, let me clarify what I'm talking about. Simply this, do not enter into contract for any goods or services that you don't have the money for. If you can't pay for it right now, don't go into debt for it. Now, a debt is not the same as credit. I talked about this in my little book on uh, discerning debt, and that credit is a value that the world puts on our trustworthiness. It's probably... Not accurate, but it's there may be some accuracy to it, but it's not the same as debt. But debt is a contract or an obligation that is not a hundred percent secured or collateralized. That's when we understand what a debt is. I've heard people say, "Well, pg and is a debt." No, it's not. It's an obligation. And in my book, I point out that all debts are obligations, but not all obligations are debts. PG&E is not a debt. It's an obligation. We have agreed up front that if I use it, we pay for it. If I don't pay for it, I don't get to use it anymore. That's, that's just an agreement. Now, I mean, in a sense, I guess I owe one month or two months, but I mean, really, there's, it's not really in its reality a debt. Buying a new sofa on credit, going to the store and buying a sofa and putting on credit that is a debt. It's not 100% secured. If something's 100% secured, then the item itself serves as the collateral. It's not a debt. It's just a contract. The only thing I know about that's like that, other than maybe some jewelry or some good piece of equipment or something, there may be certain things, but really the only thing that typically we deal with is real estate. And in California, not every state, mind you, and that's important to realize That in California, for the last decade or so, all mortgages are um, non-recourse, which means that uh, by law, the house must be the collateral for what is owed. They can't ask for any more. And that's why, of course, they're being much more careful about what they loan out because they know this law is a fact. And so in the event of selling and some deficiency or something, they cannot come to you after um, any more than just the house itself because uh, it, is, it, is, it is collateralized. That's why anything that is 100% collateralized, and typically that's done by the value of the item. There may be other ways. There's such a thing as um, insurance, uh, debt insurance. You could actually, uh, sometimes people will you know, buy something like a car or something, a big item, and then get insurance (laughs) on the debt itself. So in the event of a default, uh, it's paid off. It's very expensive. But, I mean, in that sense, I guess that's 100% secured. But the point being this, that um, I don't know of anything that's 100% secured unless it's a piece of real estate. So everything else that I put on credit card or whatever way I do it, Is a debt. It's a debt unless I have the money for it. If I don't have the money and I enter into a contract, it's a debt. If I have the money, and for some reason I want to use my rewards card or something like that, I mean that's a different story. But it's all about a hundred percent secured on this thing. Anything else is presuming on the future. And that's fellowshipping with a demon. That's the spirit of mammon. The spirit of mammon says, hey, you only live once. It's going to be all right. Everything is going to be fine. No, don't do that. Don't fall into that trap, friend. That is a a terrible trap. In fact, I am convinced it is just like tempting God. Remember what Satan told Jesus? He said, throw yourself down and the angels will pick you up. Jesus said, I'm not going to do that. That's tempting God. Presuming upon the attributes of God is tempting God. Presuming upon God's provision is tempting God. We, need, we, we just go forward as God tells us to and as God provides. Anything else than that is debt. The reason I say all this, folks, is this, that if you want to break the spirit of mammon, you have to tell the devil, I don't need more stuff. Amen. And I am definitely not going to steal from God. And I'm definitely not going to presume on God. If God wants me to have it, he'll give it to me. Other than that, i am just be content with what I have. It doesn't mean you can't want nice stuff. It doesn't mean you can't have nice stuff. That's none of that. It's just, I'm going to do it God's way. Now, if you're here and you're 18, you're thinking, about, I'm going to do this. Don't do it, folks. Don't go into debt for your student loan. Don't go into debt for anything. Never, ever. You say, well, what about? Never, don't don't do it and if for some reason you do feel like you could move ahead with a piece of real estate just be cautious because there are so many predatory lenders today stick with a brick and mortar place and uh you know and then just be remember that whatever payment they tell you you've got to add 500 to a thousand dollars a month between insurance between taxes between maintenance, between improvements. So don't, it's not just that figure. So that's the only two things I would tell you, folks. Just make sure you tithe. And then from this day forward, you just say, I'll never put anything else on credit that I don't have money for. If I have money for it, it's secured. If I don't have money for it, it's unsecured. That's presuming upon God. That is tempting God. That is presuming upon the attributes of God, that is being overrun by the spirit of man. And that means I've got to have more stuff. But when we tell the devil, I don't need more stuff, we take away his power. I don't need more stuff. Really, you don't need more stuff? Nope, and I'm going to give to God. Those two things. And anybody this morning that would be upset with a pastor telling his people, what I'm telling you would be, you'd just be berserk. Folks, this is absolutely the most important practical things that we can do for our life. I asked God this morning to give me a spirit of boldness. Do I have it? Yes. Have I have I have I pussyfooted here this morning? Have I given it? Are you happy for it? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. <laughs> I'll preach even if you don't love me, but but it sure makes it a lot more fun if you love me. Let's bow our heads for prayer.